Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, special edition today. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here. So sports are firing back up. You know, we've seen uh, we've seen the NWSL fire back up. We got the basketball tournament, which, well, we were supposed to have more UCF guys in it than we did, which is kind of a bummer. But back here in Orlando, uh, two sports are getting ready to fire up. Obviously, the NBA trying to finish off its season um, that was ended in March. And then also MLS trying to kickstart its season with a uh, with, with a modified format and one of the players who is going to be doing so is our special guest today whom Eric uh, spoke with Warren Craval former UCF men's soccer player uh, was at UCF from 2010 to 2011 after transferring from Furman um, his in 2010 his uh, first season at UCF he was he was uh, all American uh, third team just the, he was the first UCF player to earn uh, All American honors in uh, in twenty or excuse me in thirteen years uh, was All Conference USA um, and uh, and really filled up the uh, filled up the trophy case. He was on the Mac Herman Trophy uh, Award watch list for a senior season. First team All Conference USA again for UCF in twenty eleven as the Knights made the NCAA tournament um, and was drafted into uh, MLS by the. Uh, uh, and actually started actually with the uh, Carolina Dynamo of the D- Professional Development League and worked his way up. He's played for Houston, Toronto, and is currently with the Philadelphia Union. Uh, and, uh, and Eric, you uh, spoke to Warren uh, earlier this week as uh, he and the Union were getting ready to uh, make their way down to Orlando and uh, prepare for this unusual uh, season format. But uh, it's good to see Warren uh, back in old familiar grounds, isn't it? It, it is, and uh, certainly uh, for Warren Cravel, he's quite familiar with Central Florida. As you mentioned, spent two seasons at UCF. Helped them get to the NCAA tournament in 2010 and 2011. It was the first time UCF had been to the tournament since 2004 prior to that. And prior to Philadelphia's arrival to Orlando in the bubble last week, I got a chance to talk to Warren about what is it going to be like to participate in a bubble like they will be at Disney World. As Philadelphia Union, his team, will open on July 9th, 9 a.m. against New York City FC and former UCF goalie Sean Johnson. We talked about that, but we talked about his concerns with the bubble. What's it going to be like to play without fans? We also discussed his days, how he got to UCF, and some of the memories of being at UCF. Here now, Warren Carvel on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The 25th season of the MLS will return and resume at Disney starting July 8th. The MLS is back, and of course, one of the teams there is the Philadelphia Union. They'll take on New York City FC at 9 a.m. on July 9th. The game will be televised on ESPN, and our guest now here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast will be a part of that. Warren Craval joins us, of course, UCF All-American uh, back in 2010, and of course, part of two-time CUSA First Team All-Member, and of course, part of two UCF NCAA tournament teams now, and uh, once again with the Union. Uh, Warren, how you doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit. What has it been like for you here over the last few months, obviously with the interruption due to the virus? How have you been able to stay sharp and prepare with these unique circumstances here as you get ready to resume here on July 9th? Um, you know, mentally it's been, it's been a bit tough, you know. Uh, trying to stay in shape, you know, on your own. You got to have a lot of, you know, self-discipline. Um, the team was really good about sending out workouts and, um, you know, stuff to keep us 
you know, mentally engaged, you know, physically engaged. Um, but it's on you to have the discipline to, to push through and complete everything correctly, you know. What did you, What was your reaction when you found out the season would resume with this tournament taking place at Disney, uh, an area you're quite familiar with? Um, I think, you know, rightfully so, a lot of people were skeptical. You know, there's, <clears throat> you know, at the time, there was a lot of information that was, you know, up in the air. You know, obviously everything is evolving daily. Um, so I think the player pool in general was just kind of uh, skeptical to to the idea um, until we, you know, got more information. Do you feel more comfortable with the bubble kind of aspect of it and the protocols? Obviously, the NBA is coming as well right behind you there a little bit. But I would assume as, you're, as players, as you got more information, you got to feel a little better about things uh, to restart at Disney there where it's, it's you know, very much in its own little area. Um, in theory, you know, it, it should be, you know, uh, a relatively safe space, safer than probably a lot of the markets that teams are coming from. Um with that, though, you know, obviously uh, Central Florida, you know, and Florida in general is becoming kind of an epicenter for the virus. Um, you know, there's definitely, you know, some positives and negatives with it. Um, but I think, you know, we're all, we're all doing the best we can to, you know, keep everybody safe, follow all the protocols and um, just kind of go from there. No question. Of course, one of the uh, things there will be no fans. Uh, have you ever played without fans? And how much of an impact is that going to do on you all players there that you're used to having your crowds? And obviously soccer is such an emotional game with the fan bases. How much of an adjustment will that be? It's going to be a little unique, I would imagine, uh, when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think unique is a very good word. I mean, obviously, you know, we uh, we play in front of, no, no fans or limited fans, you know, in preseason, you know, playing against other teams, but the atmosphere is significantly different. Um, the intensity is significantly different than that of a, a regular, you know, game in front of fans, you know, you have them energizing the stadium, you know, amplifying the atmosphere. It, it, I, I think it's going to be kind of day and night and if you you know watched overseas it, it it's definitely a different feel you can hear everybody on the field everything that they're saying you know um, so definitely a unique situation let's talk about your team you've been with uh, philadelphia since 2015 when uh, you were uh, traded from toronto on august 7th what uh, what was the kind of your time in philadelphia what was kind of your thoughts on this year's team before the season got interrupted i know it just literally started maybe a game or two in but uh what what can people expect to see from your team there what was the expect uh, kind of your thought expectations internally going in um i think you know Yearly, we're, we're kind of, you know, viewed as an underdog or, you know, maybe a sleeper. Um, I think, in our honesty, we had a kind of a strong start to the year results-wise. It may not have looked that way, um, but I think the team was in actually um, pretty good form, you know. Went to, to Dallas and uh, dropped, dropped points there, but, you know, went to, you know, probably what the league's best team is, you know, away at LAFC and got a draw on the road. And, you know, I think you know, that was probably indicating of the form that we were in. So, um, you know, I, I think people will, you know, as, as it gets home, you know, start to see what teams are really about. And I don't, I don't really, I'm not here to make predictions about how good, or, you know, that we're going to be. But, um, you know, the, the truth will, will 
reveal itself within the tournament. So. No question. Uh, what do you think of the tournament concept there? Obviously, the first uh, the group match, uh, matches will count towards the regular season, uh, but yeah, it's a, a tournament. It's kind of like the, the World Cup feel to it, uh, You know, trying to win a championship as a team. What's that like now to be a part of a tournament here where it's going to serve multiple purposes? It'll count towards the regular season, but at the same time, you're trying to win a, a you know, championship and also trying to kind of get back in, uh, you know, kind of you know, in rhythm here as far as playing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, at least as a player, I don't, I don't think there's a more, you know, fun situation than playing in, in a tournament. You know, um, the the stakes are higher. You have less, less of a, you know, threshold to, or less of a margin of error, I should say. Um, and every game counts. You know, it, it's kind of like a, like you said, a World Cup setup where you know you're fighting to get out of your group, and then from there, it's you know, anything goes. All bets are off. What, tell me about the MLS. You were the second-round pick, 37th pick overall in the 2012 MLS Super Draft by the Houston Dynamo where you started. How has the league changed uh, from your time you stepped into the league to now the present? Um, man, I, I think the league has significantly transformed. Um, I think the quality of player you know, has gone up. The quality of play in general has gone up. Um, when I was drafted to that uh, – 2012 Houston team, um, we were a really good team in the league. Um, and to this day, probably the least technically gifted team that I was on, maybe. I think we had a really good team, but I think just the <clears throat> the, the quality of the overall league has, has gone up. What uh, course you're going to be opening up against New York City FC, another UCF alum, Sean Johnson, goalkeeper there. Uh, do you all stay in touch? I was curious there as far as, the, you know, the UCF alums in the MLS. You've had success there. Some guys have popped in. And, but you're, the, you're one of the vets. You and Sean are like the vets as far as the UCF alums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, definitely, um, you know, Sean and I will talk here and there, especially, you know, when our teams are facing off like we're about to and um, you know we'll definitely be catching up when we get down to the uh, to the bubble, and have been in communication prior to the tournament. So I'm always you know happy for Sean, you know to see him do well. I think he's had a fantastic career, um, you know, especially as a UCF alum. Tell us a little bit of how you ended up at UCF because you made an immediate impact on the program and, and with Coach Cunningham there, you were you helped them get to the NCAA tournament in 2010-2011. There was a long drought prior to that. Just tell us the story how you ended up at UCF. And it's it's kind of a a funny and crazy story. <laughs> and I don't I don't know that I've spoken on it publicly, but I'll tell you about it. Um so I I spent my first two years at Fermi University in South Carolina. And um, just to put it plainly, you know, the experience there, you know, on and off the field just wasn't really what I was looking for. And, you know, I did a lot of complaining there. And, you know, um, you know, I, in the back of my mind, I was always open to, to something else. Um, so one, one weekend in the spring semester where, you know, you're not really playing games, uh, a few of my teammates actually drove down to uh, – to Tampa, you know, took a little road trip from South Carolina to Tampa uh, to go to Gasparilla and, you know, just to have some fun. And it happened to be one of my good friends, um, one of my best friends, you know, he was actually my wedding. It was his birthday and he was already at UCF, Kevon George. Yep. And so we drove over, you know, 
the timing just worked out. You know, we just wanted to go celebrate with him. So we drove on over from Tampa to Orlando. And I was like, man, like, this is what college is supposed to look like. <laughs> like I got down to UCF and I was like, man, this place is like a resort. Like, so I just started asking Kevon, you know, questions like, yeah, like, what's, what's the team like? Like, what's the, what's the setup? And, you know, he was just like, you know, I think we have a good thing going. We're just missing, you know, one piece for real. And, you know, that kind of made my ears perk up a bit. And I was like, hmm. You know, so I had a good friend there, um, and I ended up, you know, deciding to, you know, uh, get my transfer request from Furman and went on some visits, and ultimately UCF was my first visit and, you know, the best experience that I had. Um, so I was, <laughs> it was just a no-brainer for me. And you made an immediate impact. You were the third-team All-American in 2010, the first UCF player to be named an All-American since 1997 uh, when Heike Rekvenen was an All-American. Uh, why did you fit in so easily there? And it seemed like you were one of the missing pieces there and got him over the hump, made the tournament. But you, you kind of, you know, sometimes players have a tough time adjusting going from one school to another, but you seem to adjust quickly. Um, yeah, and I think I was really comfortable going in for a couple of reasons. Like I said, my relationship with um, Kevon George, um, we played with and against each other for, you know, half of our um, youth soccer, you know, playing on the state team, the region team together. So we had a really good um, understanding and, and level of, you know, play. So he was my midfield partner, so I felt right at home as soon as I got in there and I had a a couple other other teammates that were from Atlanta that I knew, um, your own Bakker, um, Cameron Kofi, and, you know, the the group was just super inviting. I still, you know, have some friends from that group, and everything, you know, the chemistry just was there instantly, so I felt right at home. You won that first-round NCAA tournament match against South Florida. That's one of the memories I'll never forget there, uh, winning that at home against USF. Then you had to go to Ann Arbor against the talented Michigan team. Uh, you got to the second round both years, 2010 and 2011. Uh, what do you remember from your UCF days? What games or mem- moments do you remember the most from your days at UCF? Um, yeah, some of, some of those games, like the USF game, you know, those that was one of our rivals. So obviously there was a lot of emotion in games like that. Um, I believe it was a conference USA game um, against Kentucky. You know, I had a best friend that was playing there and I scored an overtime winner in that game. Um, so that was, those were like kind of a, a special moment for me. Uh, obviously the, the playoff game in Michigan, even though we lost, um, I think that was a really special atmosphere. They had a, you know, a really big fan base tailgating before the games and the freezing cold. So it was just a really cool atmosphere to, you know, to get there and you know see you know what college soccer looks like in different places. Um, it was just a really cool experience. What was it like playing for Coach Cunningham? Uh, because man, he produced a lot of play, brought a lot of players, and that ended up playing professionally, whether it be in the MLS, uh, USL, uh, etc. And you were part of that, you know, group there. But what was it about playing for Coach Cunningham? Because he drew a lot of guys, really talented guys. You mentioned George. You mentioned yourself, obviously, among others. Uh, what was it like? Um, you know, I think one of the things that I really liked about playing under him is he he gave us a lot of trust. Um, especially uh, the players in their own leadership positions. He 
he put a lot of faith in us and allowed us to kind of play our game. And obviously he guided us, you know, guided the team, you know, in the way we wanted to play. But I was able to, you know, honestly be the type of player that I wanted to be system. And it just, uh, it worked really well for myself and the team. Yeah, I mean, and again, that 2010, that was the first time the program had ever hosted a home NCAA tournament match. So you kind of paved the way in a lot of ways for the current Knights. I don't know if you still follow the program, but obviously they got over the hump and got to that Sweet 16 this past year with Cal Jennings, uh, and they beat Missouri State, got to the Sweet 16 for the first time in program history. Have you been able to follow them from a distance there? And really, I think, kind of continue that you know forward trek for the program that you all had there in 2010-2011. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, there's a, a group of us that, you know, are in a group chat, you know, keeping tabs on the on the current team, you know, and how well they're doing. And I'm actually um, friends with Cal as well. He's from Atlanta. So we train in the off-seasons a lot, um, you know, throughout his whole time at UCF, actually. So it's been really cool to watch him grow as a player. Um, you know, he's a uh, fantastic human as well. Um, I got to know uh, Richie as well. Um, they're like brothers, so it was really cool to to get to meet him as well. And I, I just think, uh, you know, just as people, more, even more so than athletics, you know, that was a really cool relationship to form. What you uh, any advice you giving Cal as far as his journey professionally, and any other f- future nights for that matter that might follow in y- y'all footsteps? Um, yeah, I mean, speaking to Cal, you know, I got to talk to him down in preseason when we uh, played FC Dallas. You know, I just. Told him to keep going, you know, just find find his rhythm, find his game, you know, because I, I think I truly think that there's not really many players like him in our league. Um, you know, I think he's he kind of fits that Will Bruin type mode, in my opinion. Um, and there's not a whole lot of those. And I think Will's had a fantastic career that he can model after. Um and and just to, you know, keep it safe. This has been a really weird year, and we don't know, you know, where things will go. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's difficult um, for him. But, you know, I, I do believe he has the tools. It has to be strange for all of you. I mean, you know, you just saw the you know English Premier League resumed, and fin- you know, with the Liverpool winning their deal there, the NWSL just resumed uh, in Utah, mm-hmm. and here you are, you're getting ready to play. Is it? I mean, it's got to be one of the most unique circumstances you're used to be playing right now. This is like the meat of your schedule, and now you're just kind of like you're seeing other leagues uh, play resuming, and as you wait your turn. Right. I mean, just all around, you know, I think it's been a really interesting to say the least set of circumstances um centered around you know the backdrop of the pandemic and obviously um injustices against you know black people in this country and globally i think it, it's just been a really um unique set of uh circumstances i'll say that that affect all of this um so it's it's uh definitely not the normal mind frame that we're used to being in at this point of the year. Um, but it is what it is. You mentioned, obviously, with Black Lives Matter and the movement there, uh, you've been around soccer. What, what's been – has there been talk about that? Is is, is that something that could uh, – you know, what, what's been going through your mind as you've seen all of that and as you get ready to play uh, here and resume, in a lot of ways, maybe have a platform as well in your own way by playing. Athletes have that platform where you can play – uh, that maybe other people don't get that opportunity to have a platform and and speak out uh, on on those issues and on, among others. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's now on the head. I mean, we definitely do have a platform. If you've, uh, obviously, you've seen the Premier League with <clears throat> Black Lives Matters on the back of their jerseys and, you know, the recently resumed um, Women's League here um, with their kneeling before the games um, and their Black Lives Matter shirts. You know, you've seen, you know, athletes take advantage of these platforms and really, you know, stand up for, for what's right, you know, and I know the league and, you know, the clubs are, are working to uh, to do the same. Oh, that's great. So they're working on something there, y'all, on the same page. Is that something you have found that the league and, and the players here, you're, since the agreement to come back, y'all been kind of on the same page here as far as the ma- matters like that uh, that you feel comfortable with and, and moving forward to, to kind of help? Because in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of people are kind of looking forward to y'all returning uh, for many different reasons, just from a standpoint of a distraction, just from a standpoint of a positive thing uh, for this country. Right. And um, there's, you know, as far as being on the same page, there's been a recently formed, you know, Black Players Coalition within MLS mm-hmm. where, you know, there's been communication with the league, you know, for matters such as that. And, you know, there's been an open line of communication between the two um, that's been really good and um, <clears throat> um, been able to definitely, you know, have a say in, in, in whatever, you know, the league puts out as far as the stance on black lives. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's been great. A couple last things. Uh, we've been doing a rankings top 100 male UCF athletes of all time here on the Black and Go Banneret. Uh, you're ranked 42nd. You cool with that? You're, you're, man, I mean, here's your chance to sell your pitch here, man. What's your thoughts there if I rank 42nd all time? And I can tell you there's a lot of great athletes, as you know, at UCF. I'm sure you got friends, a lot of them uh, in various sports. So uh, your thoughts there, rank 42nd? Um, you know, in over history, you know, I can't be too upset with that. I, I couldn't tell you, you know, for the UCF athletes, you know, <laughs> I know. So I'm not, I'm not super well versed on all the great athletes that have come out of UCF. I know during my time there was, you know, a good amount of them. So, you know, to, to be in the top 50 even, you know, um, I'm not mad at that. You're one of like seven guys that have been an All-American in the men's soccer program history program. I think that's something I try to highlight uh, not only in the article, but mention that often because that's not easy to accomplish. Do you remember when you found out you were an All-American? Because uh, that was the first time it happened with the program in 13 years at the time. Um, I do. I was I was kind of caught off guard. I was <laughs> I was in the mind frame of you know things like that don't really happen for me. <laughs> so I was I was super pumped, man. I was really excited when that happened um, or when I found out and. It's still, you know, an achievement to this day that um, that I hold up there. All right, la- last thing uh, is you get ready for the tournament. What's going to be the key to be successful while you're down here at Disney? Uh, once you get through into the bubble and then get ready to play, uh, you're going to open with New York City FC. But what's going to be the keys here to be successful? Um, I think teams that can adapt the best to the circumstances will be the most successful. Obviously, we're playing at really unusual times, nine in the morning, you know, ten thirty at night. Um, it's gonna be hot. We're obviously we're we're isolated, you know, from friends and family. Um, so I think that the teams that are able to best deal with the circumstances are gonna be the most successful and the ones that are, you know, the most unified. 
That's Warren Cravel. Of course, you could follow uh, the Philadelphia Union for more information. Go to philadelphiaunion.com. And, of course, you go to mlssoccer.com for all the details. The MLS starting July 8th, returning at Disney. And, of course, Philadelphia will take on New York City FC on July 9th. 9 a.m. on ESPN, where many UCF fans will be getting up early to uh, bragging rights potentially there, Warren. Uh, hey, congrats so far in your career to this point. Uh, good luck at Disney, man. Uh, be safe there, and appreciate you doing, uh, doing this. And, uh, you know, you got a lot of fans here in Central Florida and Unite Nation that will be watching you and been following Amen. you. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Make sure you guys are rooting for me and not Sean. Well, I'll try, I'll try my best to pass that along, buddy. I appreciate it, my man. And that's Warren Craval joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thanks to the Philadelphia Union and their uh, media relations, by by the way, for setting that up. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. July 9th, 9 a.m., Philadelphia, New York City FC, the MLS hopefully uh, gets going there. Uh, deal. But let's talk about Warren, Jeff. I mean, uh, you mentioned his accolades. All-American in 2010, the first in 13 years since the great Heike Regvedin was All-American in 97. He's in the UCF Athletic Hall of Fame. And Warren, you look at his career, he start, He got drafted uh, by, the course, the Houston Dynamo. We talked about that and his journey in the MLS. Played with Toronto FC, currently on the Union. He's a veteran in the MLS now. Uh, him and Sean Johnson really have been the two guys in the MLS that have been uh, consistently playing in the league for a while. You've had other guys like Romario Willi- uh, Williams and others that, you know, Haji Barry who have had some cup of coffee, some back and forth stuff, and have played a few years. But as far as veterans, it's Warren Craval and Sean Johnson, and very fittingly uh, scheduled uh, to play on July 9th here at Disney World. Yeah, and and the other thing too that you see from that is, and what speaks to the quality of Warren as a player is that. You know, he has uh, international experience, too. Um, not with Team USA, although he came up through the uh, USA Under-20 system, but uh, he plays for his uh, his native Guyana and um, and has and has made a few, ca- what is it, four career caps for, for, the Guyanese, uh, for the Guyanese national team going back to 2016. Um, you know, along with Sean, who's, you know, been back and forth with Team USA, has a couple of international wins to... Um, to his credit, but uh, and he by the way he's been in the Team USA system since the very beginning. But um, it, it, it's interesting, you know. Let's take a look back at UCF Knights uh, men's soccer there for you know after they joined Conference USA. In their time in Conference USA, the Knights had only uh, two seasons where they were more than one game above 500, and it was both of Warren's seasons. They were 12-5 and three in 2010. 12-6 and 3 in 2011 uh, and made the NCAA second round um, both of those years under uh, coach Brian Cunningham. So that tells you a lot about, you know, what he brought to the table for UCF and and he's always been kind of one of those unsung guys too, which as, you know, midfield as defensive midfielders are, you know, they don't they don't fill the stat sheet with goals, you know, like Cal Jennings did. Um, you don't see them constantly as keepers, but they play but he plays such a key role um, and that has translated into longevity at the professional level as uh, he's now with his third MLS uh, franchise. And and, and that means that teams need his services. I think it's an underrated, um, you know, he plays an underrated position and he plays it extraordinarily well. And that's translated to a nice career for him. 
an argument can be made that Warren Craval is the greatest midfielder midfielder in UCF men's soccer history when you add to the fact and we I did mention in the in the interview where I ranked him 42nd in the top 100 UCF Knights male <laughs> he called he called us out on Twitter on that for that by the way well, I think he, <laughs> uh, you listen to the interview he's kind of like all right I mean you know and, and I get it you know look if you're an athlete you're always thinking you're better than you're ranked right like right. you're always better you know which uh, I appreciate and, the competitiveness I mean that's you know that's competitor yeah. right so I don't expect him to be like yeah I'm 42 woo no, I mean you know I, you know but both of sure. both of us in his if we were in his shoes probably would have been but then again that's why we're not in MLS <laughs> right but I mean the I point I did bring up uh, he is the highest ranked midfielder uh, that I have and really when you look at it his college career he sh- showed up from Furman he talked about the story how he ended up at UCF friends with Kev- Kevon George yep. that was a big that was a big stepping point I know you weren't there in 2010 but you were right there in the at the at the cut of that roster right at, as soon as they added Cravel that put him helped them put him over the hump and make that two-year run for coach Cunningham in the NCAA tournament that was kind of at the Really, at the apex there where Coach Cunningham developed a lot of guys that ended up playing in the MLS. Romario Williams, who mm-hmm. played has played five seasons with Columbus, for example, is the highest draft pick, by the way. Kevon George himself was another one. Played, uh, yeah. Had a cup of coffee at MLS, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Haji Berry's been a big factor in the USL aspect of things, and as well with Orlando City. Deshaun Brown. Uh, who's played uh, with the USL cha- as well as had some uh, at times at the MLS. Kevon George, as you mentioned, uh, those are just some of the guys there that we talked about and all developed right around that 20 during that Cunningham era. And I think even some people wonder, man, I- I'm surprised they didn't win more with some of the talent that Cunningham brought in. Of course, Sean Johnson played two years in 07 and 08. But, I mean, Warren's had a great career. When you look at the body of work, All-American in the college level, was an immediate impact to that team, helped them get to two NCAA tournaments, was a two-time first-team USA performer in a midfield position, which doesn't get the the glory of a forward, for example. Uh, great pro career to this point. Again, him and Sean Johnson, the longest tenured guys in the MLS that are UCF alums. Really, outside of Winston DeBose, the legendary Hall of Famer who's in the Florida Sports Hall of Fame, you can make the case that Craval and Sean Johnson have had the two best pro careers, uh, soccer careers of any UCF men's soccer alum. Yeah, and and that and that also speaks to the fact that you know you, because I, I, I got that you know that question too, like why haven't we seen uh, you know with all these players who've developed into good professional players, where was the success at UCF? The reason why was because they were still developing at that time. You know, yeah. it's still the case in the United States where. You know, college soccer is not where you go if you're one of the top players. I mean, look at a guy like Christian Pulisic, right? Like he didn't play college soccer, so um, you know, or uh, you know, or Freddie Adu and some of those other guys, they just went right to the pros and played in the developmental professional leagues, sometimes overseas, sometimes here in the United States, before making their way up. Well, college is it, college soccer is very similar, at least right now, to college baseball, where it's where you go if you still need to have more development. But the pros don't necessarily think you're that good enough to do. And that, I think, is a real credit to what Brian Cunningham was able to do, is he was able to find talent. Uh, and that, as we've seen in all the other sports, has its own cachet, too. That, you know, hey, we have look at the guys who we've brought through our system. Um, that 
that have gone on to bigger and better things. You can do that here. And I think that Brian did a good job of that when he was here. And then when he passed the torch on, obviously, to Scott Calabrese. And Scott Calabrese has has stepped it up yet another level where we are seeing not only the... um, the success of the individual, but the success of the team corresponding to that too, and uh, and you know because you and I know Eric, like there was a time after the success with the program in in uh, in the A Sun that you know a lot of people kind of you know forgot about UCF men's soccer for a while, which was which was and and sometimes you always you you would always hear about like oh well. You know, if UCF ever dropped the sport, it would probably be men's soccer. And I was like, no, no, no. Men's soccer is actually a very good program and has been for a very long time. They're just in a very competitive league and have been for a while with Conference USA, going back to Conference USA, because look at how good SMU is. They're year in and year out, an amazing program. And now they follow them into the um, American. But, you know, over the last several years, UCF has developed, I think, a very, um, has carved out a, a little, a nice little piece of territory for itself in the, uh, in the soccer, in the college soccer landscape, and I think that if, as we've spoken with Scott Calabrese about many times before, Eric, if soccer changes over to a year-round sport where you play one game a week, uh, non-conference in the fall, and then conference play in the spring, which has been talked about, and and you know prior to COVID nineteen was one of those things that was on the docket for the coaches and the and the athletic administrators to potentially vote on. You know, that could be a real boost to college soccer and in turn a real boost to UCF because they've already laid the groundwork for that kind of success, right? No question about that. And the, the program at this peak, we'll see. I mean, I agree. I think being a two-semester sport, I think, yes, it would help the development of players because it is. It's kind of like a sprint. The way they do it, it's very different than they do in other leagues across not only in the States but in the world. So right. uh, we'll see. Of course, you know, it was cool. We talked about, of course, you talk about Coach Calabrese and the guests. Of course, we think about Cal Jennings, who was a first-round pick at this year's Super Draft. And how cool is it? My favorite part of the interview there, Warren talked about how he's been training with Cal. Because Cal's a Georgia guy and Warren, and so they've been training in Georgia. They've known each other for a while, and that's always great. Uh, and I talked in the interview to hear the alums helping each other out. Pretty cool, Jeff, and kind of the advice that he's going to give Cal as far as his, his, he moves along in his pro career, obviously with FC Dallas first-round draft pick. Who knows how soon they might need him with all the things that's going on at FC Dallas with the COVID cases there. But uh, awesome. What a, Cal's very in good hands uh, as far as who better than a guy like Warren to give him advice as far as what to expect in the pro level and beyond. But it's, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Here's two guys that played for different coaches but went to the same school there, didn't they? Never played together, but they knew each other, and he's he's willing to help him out. I think it's awesome, and it speaks a lot about that UCF pride, and I think Coach Calabrese has to be pleased to hear that and to help that the, the alums still help out the UCF program all these years later. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is it, it, it's, it's not just that. It's also the fact that uh, these guys get it that at the pro level, it really still is about developing and getting better and – and 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 carving out a career for yourself, you know, at that level, it, it's you know, we like to see think of guys as being you know highly competitive, and I'm not taking away from that. These guys are highly competitive. You don't, I mean, listen to what Warren was saying about his ranking, right? Um, you don't get to that level without being competitive. But at the same time, this is still a developing sport. Um, 
and UCF is still a developing program. And to see these guys, you know, working together, I think is it is um, extremely positive for uh, for the growth of the sport. Because one of the things we've always talked about over the years, MLS in general has always been a. I mean, let's face it; it is, it's been considered a second tier tier league at best, uh, internationally speaking. Um, and, but you know, guy, you know, America has you know soccer talent that they're trying to find and develop here. I think that. If uh, the change in the soccer calendar happens, I think that'll be a, that'll be a boost for American soccer. Um, the continued success of MLS um, going into markets that they have not uh, that don't have a lot of pro sports. For example, Sacramento's getting a team. Uh, Austin's getting an expansion team. Obviously, Orlando only had one pro team prior to uh, to Orlando City uh, happening. So. Um, yeah, I, I really do think that you know, we hear all the time about, you know, is soccer really going to catch on in the United States? Well, it's not going to happen overnight, but it's a process. And I but think that if it happens, it, it is. It's got to be. It's not quite it's not quite there, but it's 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 right on the cusp. Well, and it's stable, right? I mean, the MLS yeah. in its 25th season here is stable. Remember the NHSL. I'm sure you remember that's growing up. Uh, yeah, is that the New York Cosmos and all that? Right. It just never was stable, right? They try to get these big names and it financially just didn't work. Unfortunately, Winston DeBose, who's in the UCF Hall of Fame, was a, a you know kind of you know play for the Tampa Rowdies. About that, uh, they just weren't neighbors stable enough. Plus, U.S. soccer at that time was you know a non-factor. You know they they hadn't been to the World Cup until 1990. I think the sport of soccer is much more stable and popular now than it was say 10 tw- uh, 20 years ago. When you think about people in the states are watching MLS soccer, but they're also watching English Premier League soccer. That's what I've been watching the last few weeks, and it gets good numbers for NBC and NBC Sports Network. Uh, so people are watching that. They're they're watching international soccer, the U.S. men's soccer, the U.S. women's soccer. So people are into the soccer, and I think the MLS has been a league now that has proven to, hey, we're here to stay 25 years. And think of the attendance. I mean, a place you mm-hmm. used to work at in Georgia, at Atlanta, FC, who would have thought – they would be on fire as far as fan interest and excitement there. They packed house that Mercedes-Benz Stadium there when they won the yeah. MLS Cup a couple years ago. Orlando City has always drawn well. Now the last couple years, uh, the product on the field has not been good in Orlando City, and I think it's affected their attendance, but the passion is there if they can win. We've seen it in Portland, Seattle. So the MLS markets are hitting, like you said, and they've got to they, – I think to me, if you did a stock up, and stock down for pro sports. I think soccer is on the ups. Uh, the big thing for the MLS is, like you said, maybe getting that development player so the U.S. men's soccer can have more success and be in the World Cup, and not only be in the World Cup, but have success down the road. And uh, hopefully UCF can contribute to that. Sean Johnson has kind of been back and forth with the U.S. national team uh, and things like that. Winston DeBose was an original goalkeeper on the U.S. national team. Maybe we'll see some more UCF guys down the road. And I think if you're Scott Calabrese, who I think, and I think you agree with me, is a genius. Yeah. I And, and tell me if I'm wrong here. I think he's one of the few coaches I've ever seen. If you told me Scott Calabrese, I think he could coach men's college soccer. I think he could coach the pro level. He could coach the international level. Uh, you know, hopefully he stays here. Right. <laughs> but my point is, I think he's a genius, and I think he's going to bring players excitement. If you're a player... Why wouldn't you come to UCF right now where you can be – 
it's a school that is proven to produce players to play at the next level, and you're playing an exciting style of soccer too, which I think has helped uh, with Scott there and his offense, which has been a perennial top ten offense since he's arrived here. That's see, that's the thing. It's that's the, one of the biggest drawbacks of soccer here in the United States is that well, it's not exciting enough and. I've said this before on Twitter and uh, a number of other, and I think a number of people have echoed this, like the style of play that UCF plays is one where if more people saw it, they would be like, this is amazing because it's, it is Josh Heupel on a soccer pitch is what it is. It's, um, it's constantly pushing the action um, and and getting his, they, I, I told Scott one time when we, when we saw him, right? Like, you know, uh, your players never met a shot they didn't like, and uh, UCF the last uh, the last two years underneath them has le- has been among the top teams in the country in shot attempts and scoring uh, shots on goal, and it's a credit to the style of play that they engage in. And I would love to see whatever gospel Scott Calabrese is preaching that it gets that that it. It picks up on the wind, and, and we find it in other places too, especially on Team USA, because that would be a lot of fun to see. I know that there's a lot of um, it, it, there, there's a lot of flux right now with uh, with the with the United States men's national team, um, but I'm here to I'm here to tell you, soccer heads, if uh, if the if Scott Calabrese ever gets a look at at, at any level. Um, above UCF, or hopefully he would get it. Maybe he gets a look at Team USA um, while he's also at UCF, which I think would be fantastic. Uh, it could be a real revolution for soccer in the United States to play that kind of um, to play that kind of style because it's so so fun to watch. And hopefully, you know, we'll get to see more of that this fall, and at the very least, we'll be able to see. Uh, hopefully, if hey, all goes way, well. Oh, go ahead. And a credit to Tiffany Robertson Haydeck who. Played for Calabrese, yeah, uh, in the pro levels, and was one of the people that was pushing for him for the UCF job when it was open, uh, and endorsed him, uh, which is a tremendous credit to her to show, hey, I want both programs to be successful. This is not about, hey, we're the, you know, featured franchise program here and things like that. And I think what the last three years have proven is that women soccer and men's soccer complement each other here at soccer. I mean, I was with Murph at the American Conference Championship game this past year in, 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 in bad cold weather, 30, 40 degrees. They had over 1,000 people there. It was a big crowd for that soccer championship in a great environment. I know you've been out there a, a, the year before that. So people have the, are excited about the program. They're excited. There's the interest there. And it's guys like Warren Creval giving back and, and what they started 10 years ago, really – helping get the program back there and, and being showcased in the MLS like he will be here at this uh, MLS's back tournament at Disney here, which will be huge. I think I think it's going to draw very good numbers. Now, the good news for you, Jeff, this might work on your schedule. The matchup of July 9th scheduled 9 a.m. 9 a.m. So Sign me up. You're, I'm you're, in. You're, it's like the old World Cup day there. But. I know. I, I, I love it. I can I can I can I can give I can make breakfast for my kids. We put the soccer on. It's fantastic. I'll have to obviously have an alarm <laughs> clock, for it. but it's going to be fun, especially if Sean Johnson at goal, Cravel, hopefully, you know, that'll be fun. And by them having good careers moving forward and hopefully Cal Jennings follows suit, maybe Romario Williams can get back into the MLS. He has played five seasons at Columbus. He's currently on the Miami USL team, 
Maybe he gets a callback with the Miami, uh, you know, MLS team maybe mm-hmm. at some point. But those guys having success and Cal Jennings, that only helps the UCF brand as far as soccer is concerned, just like it, it's gotten help, obviously, on the women's side with all the success they've had nationally and to some extent professionally, although the women's game is still not as stable professionally in the States like the men is right now. Yeah, but it's approaching that, and I think that if they're Hopefully. able to, if they're able to prove to themselves that they can complete this season, and there we see them on CBS Sports Network now, and uh, and if they can do so, uh, and if MLS can do so, I think that's a big boost because uh, a lot of sports are in trouble right now, as we know, Eric, and um, and to prove the, and if they can get through this and prove their stability, like you said, that's going to be um, a big win. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing MLS kick off. Hopefully, they do so with as many uh, with as many players and staff and coaches as healthy um, as humanly possible, and uh, and we'll see what happens from there. So it should be fun. All right, um, Warren Craval, thanks again to Warren for um, taking some time out of what is a busy time for him right now, uh, and uh, best of luck to him and all the other uh, UCF alumni and uh, who who will and hopefully may play uh at, at play in the bubble uh and uh, at mls and um we wanted to uh oh by the way his uh, twitter warren Craval, is warren speak w-a-r-r-e-n-s-p-e-a-k no spaces no underscores on twitter so make sure you follow him um there all right eric hey thanks for pulling this off man we appreciate it. you're gonna be uh what else you got coming down the pike Well, we're going to be obviously in the process of wrapping up the top 100 UCF male athletes, top 80 female athletes. I know we'll dissect that down the road as well. Part of our UCF 250 series. Uh, That's going to be exciting as we kind of put a bow on that as we'll find out what other soccer players are ranked in those polls as well as other athletes is concerned. Uh, That's going to be kind of coming up soon on the black and gold banner red. And obviously I'll be following the MLS, seeing how Warren and Sean do and Hope everything goes well there, and before, and then go from there, and uh, maybe after that, be they might be the set the example and set the tone for the NBA in a few weeks after that when they're going to be at Orlando at Disney for the bubble. So uh, hopefully it works itself out from that standpoint. But that's the main thing: top 100 and top 80 for now on the female athletes. And uh, maybe you mentioned that UCF men's soccer this year, some classic top games from this year that also will be out down the road as well as yep. their top games of the year. That should be fun, too. And, of course, we're going to be looking also at – I wanted to uh, pass along, last but not least, a special uh, welcome aboard to uh, Daniela Medina, who's our latest uh, and newest staff member here at Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, put up a couple stories last week. Um, just an amazing writer, uh, a fantastic journalist, and uh, a fun follow on Twitter. So make sure you follow her at uh, Danny Medina News. That's Danny Medina News uh, as well. And uh, I'm thankful that she's going to be providing – uh, her talent to us. She's uh, a phenomenal writer. So welcome aboard, Danny. Congratulations. Uh, so that'll do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't forget, we'll be back later this week, Thursday, with our latest show, uh, Eric and myself and Brian Murphy, uh, talking about all the latest news and what is hopefully uh, hopefully some good news as, uh, uh, as we roll through the month of July here with, uh, with COVID-19 still bearing down on a lot of sports. But hopefully things work out and work out for the yeah, best here. We'll so in the meantime, ask- in the meantime, wear your masks, people. Yeah. By the way, we'll ask Murph on the next episode, a fourth UCF player now on the Major League Baseball roster, Danny Winkler with the Chicago Cubs uh, roster there, part of the 60-man roster, joining, as we talked about in the last episode, 
with Bo Taylor and then obviously uh, Drew Buter in Colorado, Bo Taylor with Cleveland, and of course Dylan Moore with Seattle. So four UCF guys now, at least on 60-man rosters in the Major League Baseball roster. So we'll ask, we'll ask Murph about Winkler there. And of course, we encourage you to check out our archive, some great interviews. Ben Lively, who me and Murph talked to a couple weeks ago, is about a week away to returning in the KBO. So good news. Which is... Why isn't this crazy, uh, Jeffrey? With all you know, even though there's not a lot of sports going on, UCF still a factor all over the world. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. This university is everywhere, people. You can't escape us. You can try all you want. It's just not going to happen. So uh, that's good. By the way, great news on Dan Winkler. So happy that he's getting a shot now. But you know, a, a draftee back in 2011 and uh, getting a shot now. Uh, he, he's had he's had a couple uh, a couple shots with yeah. the Braves here and there from 2015. Yeah, I used three and one last year at the age of 29, 4.98 ERA. But, um, but you know what? Getting another shot right now at the Cubs, that's good. That's always good news. Absolutely. He had a good run with the Braves there for a while. Late innings, a bullpen guy. So I'm kind of curious to talk to Murph about Winkler and his kind of uh, standpoint in Chicago and in his career as well uh, in our next episode. All right. So once again, hey, thanks to you, Eric, for pulling off the interview with Warren. Thanks to Warren for taking the time for us. Best of luck. Stay healthy. And thanks to you for listening. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All the best. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you later this week.